Holy Word. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Our passage this morning is verses 1 through 5. Here is the holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even examine myself. I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. The one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart, and then each man's praise uh, will come to him from God. Let's ask for his help to understand his holy word. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your wood would be what we have sung it to be, a lamp to our feet and a light to shine upon our way. Father, we are in desperate need of light as we live in a world full of darkness and as our hearts and minds are often overwhelmed by the darkness of this world. We pray that your light, the light of your word, would break through into that darkness. Give us understanding and wisdom as we lay hold of the truth which you have so graciously revealed in your word. We pray, Father, as that word comes to us this morning, that it would reshape us. And reshape us into your image, that it would give us strength to submit to you and glorify you with our whole life. So Holy Spirit, come upon us now through your great power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I was at my favorite place to get coffee last week... Something on the bulletin board there caught my attention. And it was an announcement from a local church about what they were going to be doing in an upcoming conference. What really struck me was the description given of the speaker who was coming. It said uh, he's an author, he's a speaker, he's an activist, he's a filmmaker, he's an innovator, and he specializes in developing and unleashing personal and organizational creativity. And then it went on to say, in other words, he gets bored really easily. He's committed to creating environments that expand imagination. He unleashes creativity and maximizes the creative potential in every individual and organization. As I thought about that description of the speaker, I thought, well, I would be tremendous as a business consultant, I suppose. Who doesn't want to have a business that is expanding through creativity that's been unleashed by the productive worker? But the fact of the matter is, this is not a businessman or an entrepreneur. This is a minister of Jesus Christ. As I thought about those words of description, he's an author, he's a speaker, he's an activist, he is a filmmaker, he is about unleashing creativity. I wonder, would the Apostle Paul have ever been described that way? Imagine the headlines in the local synagogue. We are inviting Rabbi Paul over to our church for this weekend and uh, then give this brilliant resume of his accomplishments and the kinds of things that characterize him. Would the Apostle Paul or any of the Apostles ever allow themselves to be described in this fashion? Well, I think that we all understand what the answer to that is this morning, and that is no. The Apostle Paul gives us 
uh, how it is that we are to regard him, other apostles, and ministers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 4 here, in the, or rather in verse 1, the very beginning of chapter 4, he says, let a man regard us in this manner. He says, here is how you are to regard the minister. This is instruction about what the ministry of the word is about. This is instruction uh, to the church of how they are to regard their pastors. And here is what he says that we are to uh, think of pastors as servants of Jesus Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. You see, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's addressing the Corinthian problem of propping up their ministers and exalting them and following them as if they were some sort of religious gurus or philosophers. They had a completely misguided understanding of what the ministry was for and what ministers should be like and the kinds of messages that they should be bringing God's people. And I know that we've hit this theme several times recently, but the fact of the matter is it just keeps coming up in the Word of God. We are a church that's driven by expository preaching. That means the sermon is always driven by the text. And if God keeps repeating Himself in the Bible, I guess that we ought to have an open ear to it. And the fact of the matter is, as we read this passage, it seems to have a contemporary ring to it. This is the kind of instruction that the church needs today. It needs to understand what the ministry is about. The ministry is not about cultivating a circus-like atmosphere in the church where ministers, self-styled gurus, stand up and give a practical and therapeutic advice about how to live. The ministry is not about uh, the pastor standing up and helping you understand the potential of your own creativity and the kind of blessings that will bring you and the people around you. As the Apostle Paul is going to make clear here through the use of these uh, titles in this passage, the ministry is about one thing. It is about the faithful proclamation of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that word is unleashed verse by verse, as the minister expounds the word, what happens to you? It's not that your creative potential is unlocked. He said, as the law and the gospel is proclaimed, you are transformed and changed in the glorious image of Jesus Christ. As that word goes forth, you are enabled to take up your cross daily and serve Christ as a humble servant. That's what church is about. It's about being made into a humble servant. Not a self-empowered, rugged individualist. Who knows how better than the people around you to unlock the great and deep hidden potential within. It's a disclosing of the thoughts and intents of your heart that are wrong. Submitting them to Jesus Christ, confessing them, asking God's pardon for them, and to be strengthened and reshaped through God's power to live obediently and for His glory. As I set that context, now we work into the passage here, and, and we want to look in some detail... At this rich description here, the Apostle Paul gives of the office of the minister of the word. And I want us to see that Paul's description of the office of the minister of the word centers around titles, ethics, and duties. Titles, ethics, and duties. Now as we work our way through that, I want us to bear in mind what comes at the bottom part of our passage this morning. That's verses 3 through 5. That every minister is going to be judged by Jesus Christ on the last day 
in accordance with how they meet these standards. Just think about that. Titles, ethics, and duties. And Jesus Christ will have every minister who stood up in His name stand before His throne and with a great power search the hearts and the motives and the intentions of every person who's ever stood behind the pulpit and taken up the Word of God to preach it. This Word here says that Jesus Christ will dig into His heart with the most powerful x-ray machine that's ever been known to man and disclose the motivations that have driven them in terms of how they act and fulfill this call. You see, this is a terribly sobering passage. Very important for us as a church to understand in this morning what the ministry is for so that we hold ministers accountable for the calling that Christ has given, that we know how our church should be. In that vein, let's look at the passage. Titles. Look at the titles here. Servants. Servants of Jesus Christ. Servants here. It literally means one who acts under the orders of another to carry out his will. Uh, This word was used in the Greek language to refer to sailors who were in the bottom of a large boat who were used to row the boat with large oars. It's also used of law enforcement personnel in the Greek New Testament used of synagogue officials. It has a very wide range of application, but basically, whenever it's used, you have to understand from the context, uh, the context describes the particular kind of service that's specified. So it's a kind of a, a real rubbery word that can be twisted and moved around, but it always has to do with service. Now the other title here, which discloses uh, the office of minister, is that word stewards. It simply means someone who has authority and responsibility for something. Uh, You will probably be uh, aware of, if you've read the Bible much, Christ talking about the stewards, right? Luke chapter 12, where he talks about the, uh, the foolish steward who was given accountability over the estate. And uh, he used his calling and responsibilities in a selfish, self-serving manner. He was a wicked steward, according to Jesus. It's somebody who has the responsibility for carrying out a particular responsibility. But remember, it is a service role. That's what Paul is saying. It is a service role. Now, imagine, those are the two titles that the Apostle Paul says, I want you Corinthians, and I want the church to know. This is what a minister is. He's somebody who has a towel wrapped over his hand, whose job is to serve other people. That is earth-shattering in the ancient world. In fact, it was so strange, even the disciples, that Jesus had to say, this is how somebody ought to act who is my servant. He serves people. He envisions himself as being a servant. And he doesn't lord it over other people. Because that was the only way the ancient world understood how people acted who were in positions of authority. They considered themselves lords. They had the right to boss people around. They had the right to be respected. They had the right to, uh, to get used to people bowing before them. They had the right to expect that if they gave orders, people would follow them. 
Uh, this is really a revolutionary way of looking at leadership the Apostle Paul gives here. And it's also grounded in the words of Jesus Christ. Pastors are not gurus. Pastors are not exalted leaders. Pastors are not high profile personalities. Pastors are not great king, ruler, powerful kinds of people. What Paul said, this is what a pastor is. He's a servant. He's a servant. Just consider the kind of images that come into your mind when you think of that kind of terminology. It shapes the entire way you approach somebody if you think of them as a servant. That is not a grandiose... Exalted way of thinking. And remember, that kind of description of the ministry is targeted for these Corinthians who are very warped and misguided understanding of what a minister is. Again, they were regarding ministers as, uh, as these large personality types who were gregarious and outgoing and philosophical and wise, skilled in the things of this age. In line with the great uh, Greek rhetors who would stand in public and hold forth in a captivating way, spellbinding deliveries, and people would hang on their every word, and then they would seek to go live according to the philosophy of the kind of person that they were listening to. The Apostle Paul says, don't be thinking that way about your pastors. Here's how you think of your pastors. They're servants of Christ. And they're there to serve you. And now Paul... Uh, gives us a signpost to the service. If they are stewards and if they are servants, uh, those words uh, have within them uh, rich ideas about what the ministry is about in terms of ethical responsibilities. Ethics. That brings us second of all to ethics. The Apostle Paul says these servants of Christ and stewards, uh, he says are to be found trustworthy, verse 2. They're to be found trustworthy. Now turn with me to Titus chapter 1, verse 7, and you get what the Apostle Paul is driving at. at Titus 1, 7. I want you to turn there for yourselves if you do have a Bible with you, so you can see what uh, is meant by this. The Apostle Paul, of course, has written the book of Titus. Uh, you're going to see here that in verse 7, the very same word that Paul uses in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, or rather 4.1, stewards is in this verse. He says, the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. Let's put that in the flow of the context. Paul is writing to Titus here, who's on the island of Crete, and he says in verse 5 that he has sent him there to set things in order. In other words, things are out of order in Crete. And why are things out of order in Crete? The reason why things are out of order in Crete is because they don't have pastors yet. It's a young church plant and it needs pastors. And so Paul says, I want you to appoint elders in every city. And then he specifies the kind of ethical qualities these elders are to have, first of all. He says, if any man is above reproach, that is, there's nothing outstanding against him. You can't find a major sin in his life that you could point to and say, see, this man is not trustworthy. He has a life that's above reproach. And that is uh, clarified in the following words. He's a husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Now notice the first word in verse 7. Four. Four. You see, Paul was giving the explanation for why a pastor must be this way. 
why he must be above reproach. And he says, here's the reason. The overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. You could translate that better by saying, because God's steward. You see, what the Apostle Paul is concerned about is that the person who stands in the pulpit Sunday after Sunday and expounds the Word of God is somebody whose life is in conformity to the words that he proclaims. And when there is a disjunction between the Word that is proclaimed and the life of the person who is proclaiming it, it brings shame upon God. You see, when the world hears about pastors who have great and tragic uh, fall in terms of their personal life, in terms of their morality, the world scoffs. It scoffs at a gospel message which is about life change when the people who proclaim it live just like the world. It brings great reproach upon Christ when pastors don't have their act together. And so what the Apostle Paul says here to Titus, he says, make sure that the kind of people that you put in the pulpit are the kind of people who live in conformity to the things that they say. It's not that the pastors are going to be sinless. It's that those pastors better be disciplined about fighting sin in their own life. Uh, Look at the moral qualities that that Paul says are to be uh, characteristic of ministers. He goes on here. He gives 11 terms in the next two verses. Five of them are negative. Six of them are positive. Not self-willed. Not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, above, devout, self-controlled, holding fast to the faithful word. People of God, this means one thing, that the kinds of people that the church puts in the pulpit are to be the kind of people who live according to the word. It is the elders' responsibility to see over the life of their pastors and to hold them accountable to divine standards. But it also means that of you, you are to long for the kind of pastor who meets these descriptions. And you are also then, because these are the high standards of the office, you're obligated to pray for them. You know, Satan loves nothing more than to trip pastors up. Loves nothing more. Because he knows that the greatest damage that can be inflicted upon the church is not burning down its buildings. Not even killing its people. It's about tripping up pastors and great moral failures so that the word of God is made a joke. Part of your duties in view of these qualifications of pastors is that you pray diligently for your pastors. You pray for me. You pray for those who Christ has raised up to expound the word. So first of all, here he says that this is the ethical responsibility of those who are uh, pastors, who are servants. It is that they are to have uh, commitment and devotion to the moral character prescribed. The other aspect of the ethical responsibility of the pastor is that he's faithful to the vocational standards. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but you could uh, just listen here. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 uh, tells us about those vocational standards that a pastor is to conform to. And Peter says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards. 
It's just the other side of the ethical responsibility of a pastor. It's not just that he keeps his life tidy and clean. It's also that he uses the gifts that Jesus has given to serve people. Again, we come back to the service model of the ministry here as Peter explains it. He says, as you've received a gift, serve as stewards. The calling of the pastor is made clear here Then, as we think about the ethical responsibilities of the office as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. They are to live according to the moral standards and the vocational standards of God's Word. Well, that brings us to duties then. We've seen titles. We've seen ethics. We see duties. What are the duties of pastors? Paul doesn't uh, unfold it here at great length. But again, the terms that he uses uh, suggest what is meant by it. Let's take that word stewards, or rather servants, first of all. Get insight into that uh, in Acts chapter 26. You might want to see this for yourself. Acts chapter uh, 26. Paul uses uh, the very same term here. Or rather, it's not Paul. It's Luke in Acts chapter 26. uses the very same term that Paul uses um, in 1 Corinthians 4 to describe what pastors are. It's that word minister. Paul is standing before Agrippa, a Jewish king who knows a great deal about Jewish religious practices and he is defending himself against charges that have been made against him part of his defense of himself begins uh, in verse 12 describing his journey I mean that in a metaphorical way describing where he's come from in his life he had been a rabbi he had been a very devout Jew and he tells uh, Agrippa uh, about his devotion to Judaism Especially over against Christianity. He says in verse 12, So engaged as I was journeying to Damascus. And by the way, Paul says in verse 11, He was punishing Christians in the synagogues, pursuing them even to foreign cities in order to punish them and to bring them to justice. That's what he was doing. That's what he was heading to Damascus for. He says, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests at midday. O king, I saw in the way a light from the heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now this is the verse that I want to look at. It's verse 16. This is Jesus speaking to the Apostle Paul. And this is Jesus framing and defining for Paul what his life's calling will be now. He says, get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness. Not only the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. This is Jesus defining for Paul what he will be. Instead of somebody who is a rabbi, who is acquiring great fame among the Jews because of his devotion to Judaism and showing that by the kinds of people he's persecuting and jailing, he says, you have a new life and you have a new calling, and that is to be a minister. 
Now that has to be foundational. Those are Jesus' words to Paul. Those, that has to be foundational to Paul's understanding what a minister of Christ is. Jesus is telling him, Paul, this is what you will do. You will be a minister, and what that means is that he will witness to the things which he has seen and the things that will appear. What Jesus is saying to Paul is that I'm going to tell you exactly what to say. And when you receive from me the instruction about what you are to say, you are to go preach that message. Now look at what Jesus says. There is nothing that gives us any hint or suggestion in these words that it's up to the Apostle Paul to unleash his own creative imagination to frame the message and to give the content to it that he wants to. The calling of the minister is to speak the very things that Christ has given him. And the reason why it's so important that the minister speak the words that Christ gives is because of what Jesus says in verse 18 about the purpose of Paul's calling. He says it's to open their eyes, that is Jews and Gentiles, so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. You see the aim of the apostles' ministry? You see the aim of the ministry in general here? Paul says, or rather Luke says, according to Jesus, that it's all about proclamation of the things that Jesus gives, that is, the Scriptures, so that the eyes of people who are stuck in darkness and in sin will be opened. And they will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And the only way that happens is by what? Well, that's what Jesus says. The testifying of the things that have been seen. That's the standard that you hold your ministers to. That they testify of the things that Jesus has given It's about being spiritual. It's not about earthly rewards and benefits. I mean, there may well be from living in accordance to the laws of God that it turns out that your life gets better. The fact of the matter is, I found usually that when people come to Jesus Christ and become His disciples, their life gets worse. And that doesn't sound like a very joyful message. But it's usually true. Because Jesus wants His disciples to have their affections drawn away from this age. Because when your affections are wrapped up with the things of this world, Christ becomes minimized in your eyes. That's why God in His wisdom has appointed you problems. That is why God in His wisdom gives you sickness. That is why God in His wisdom breaks up your relationships sometimes. Because the fact of the matter is, very often those things become substitutes for Christ. And that's a danger to your soul. And we say, that sounds very different. That sounds hard. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus wants us to be central He wants us to hang on His words. He wants us to realize that the greatest things in life are not things that are now, but things which are to come. Things that pertain to the kingdom of God. Things are about this inheritance that 
that Jesus says is mediated through the preaching of the Word. You see, to be a minister is to be faithful to Jesus Christ and the things that He has said to proclaim them. The other word gives us some insight in the duties of ministers, and that is the word stewards. We get some more insight into what it means to be a steward by turning to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Paul again is giving us great insight into what it means to be a steward of Christ and of the mysteries of God here in verse 25. Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that you might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. The mystery, verse 26, which has been hidden from past ages and generations but has now been manifested to His saints. You see, this is what the Apostle Paul says that a steward of the mystery of God does. He, he preaches those. You see, he's been given this stewardship, this calling to be a minister of Jesus Christ. It's not something that he claims for himself. He names and he claims and he becomes. The person who is a steward of Jesus Christ is appointed to the office by Jesus Christ for the purpose of proclaiming Jesus Christ, which is what the mystery is all about. And notice the aim of that proclamation in verse 27, or verse 28. He says, we proclaim Him, that's Christ, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's what a stewardship, or a steward of the mysteries of God, is about. Admonishing and teaching. You could put it another way. Correction and instruction. You could put it another way. Law and gospel. You see, that's what the ministry of the Word is about. It's about the contents of the Word of God, which contain law, that is, God's commands. A big part of the Word of God, a very large part of the Word of God, both in the Old and New Testament, is full of commands. God says, do this. That's law. As we read the law this morning, we saw a list of ten things to do. And you'll notice that after I read those, I didn't give you uh, tips and instructions about how to carry those out. The reason why we read the law of God as we did in that part of the worship service was to drive us to humility before the Lord and to expose to our own hearts and minds the fact that we failed to keep those things. Remember, as we read the Catechism, we said that one of the chief purposes of proclaiming the law of God to the saints is so that they would discover the sinfulness of their heart. But the Apostle Paul says that the job of the minister is is to admonish with the Word of God so that we all will discover the sins of our hearts. And that's one reason why very often Reformed preaching and teaching sounds like it's negative. And that's a bad word today. We're just supposed to be positive, right? Church is supposed to be fun. Church is supposed to be uplifting, almost like a narcotic. 
Well, actually, Paul says that church, if it's done correctly and the ministry of the word is done correctly, will probably send uh, very many of us home, if not all of us home, uh, kind of discouraged sometimes because we found out that when we went to church that we weren't very good people, even though we were saved. Uh, the word of God is not full of flattery. In fact, it's full of law, which says this is God's eternal and righteous standard, and you have fallen short of it. And see, the preaching of the Word is to tell Christians that this is God's standard, this is what God requires, and if you haven't done it, your calling is to what? Repent. If a pastor is not calling God's people to repent on a regular basis in the preaching of the Word, he's not being a steward of the mystery of God. That's what Paul says. Because he's describing what it is to be a steward of the mystery of God and as to admonish. But if the pastor only admonishes and leaves everybody going home utterly discouraged every Sunday, he's not doing his job either because there's a balance to it. He says there's admonish every man and then he says he's to teach every man with all wisdom. In other words, he is to take the mystery, the things about Jesus Christ and to tell you that though you fell short of the glory of God, though your life is not in conformity, it doesn't shape up. In fact, if it was like a puzzle and a bunch of pieces being put together, if we could sort of conceive of our life that way, uh, it, it would often be that uh, we have a bunch of pieces that don't fit together and then we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and he heals us and he reshapes us and he fits us so that we actually fit together now. That's what the gospel is about. It's about justification and it's about sanctification which is a reshaping of our hearts and our minds and our attitudes and our whole lives. Paul says that's what the ministry is about. It's to teach every man with all wisdom so they will become complete in Jesus Christ. Part of the joy of preaching the gospel is seeing how it is an encouragement to people who are struggling. Part of the joy of the gospel is seeing how it not only confronts people with sin, but also shows them that there is a remedy for sin. I don't know, maybe you've never really felt broken before. I'll just hope that some of us here this morning know what it is to be utterly discouraged by being a failure, by being disobedient. When you really see yourself in the mirror and you're honest about who you are and what you've done, the things that you have done to offend God and your neighbor, maybe your spouse... Maybe your children. Maybe your boss. There's nothing like being able to preach the gospel to those kinds of people and to say, yes, um, it's bad what we've done. But you know, the Bible also tells us about a heavenly father. The Bible tells us about a heavenly father who, who loves his children who understands that they are but dust. And because He loves us so much, He took His very own sin and He sent that Son to die in your place for the sins that you've committed. It's a great joy to preach about Jesus Christ. I I am puzzled why people want to change the message. How do you get a better message than that? 
How do you ever get a better message than that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became man and suffered on the cross and took all of the sins that we have on Himself and suffered God's wrath there so that God wouldn't look at us anymore in our own sins? Why would you ever want to become creative? Because the biggest problem that I have in my life is not my lack of creativity. I'll admit I'm the last person that has style and creativity. As I always say about myself, I am the most vanilla person that you've ever met. And the only kind of ice cream I like is vanilla, and I don't want any toppings on it either. My problem is not creativity. My problem is that I've offended God. You see, we sometimes have such an exalted idea of ourselves. Until we compare ourselves against God, who is our creator and our maker, the one who has every right to expect from us all that he has demanded in his word. We realize that because we haven't met that, that he has every reason and right to justly punish us for our sins, then I begin, we believe, to understand that the message of the gospel is the most precious thing we can hear. Because that God not only demands things, he promises and offers things freely by his grace. People of God, what do you want out of a pastor? What Paul says you should want out of a pastor is somebody who proclaims the law and the gospel to you faithfully. From the word of God. Doesn't mix it with his own ideas. Doesn't take opinion polls and see what you'd like to hear. He just preaches the word as a faithful steward and servant. How does this all apply to us this morning? How does this apply to us this morning? I'm going to skip the part about judgment. That's really for the pastor. It's not for you all. It's for me. Believe me, that's pretty painful wrestling with that all week. That um, to know that God will look into my heart and disclose all of the sinful motives. What is it that uh, we are to take from this message, though, this morning? Well, I think, first of all, what we're to take from the message is that God sets the standards in His church. God sets the standards in His church for what the ministry is to be. Now, you often hear people say, Well, I'll tell you what I like in a church. Well, I'll tell you what I like in a pastor. Well, I'll tell you what I like in a service. And when I hear that, I just want to cringe. Partly because I'm not creative enough to pull it off, maybe. But, on the other hand, uh, the fact of the matter is that the Word of God throughout, if you search it carefully, really not even that careful, I don't think you'll ever get the impression from it that that God wants to know what you would like. Uh, Honestly, I I just don't find that here. I I don't find God uh, presenting the saints with, well, how would you like it? Kind of like uh, uh, Burger King, have it your way. You know, your own burger, your way. Maybe some people like cheese, some people like double pickles, maybe some people like ketchup and mustard and no mayonnaise, I don't know. But that's not how the Bible says it. It never says, how would you like it? But the problem is that sometimes because of our egos and because of our personalities, we let those things get in the way and we say, hey, you know what I would like to see in happening in church? Hey, you know how I would like the pastor to be? Would you like to know how I think he should preach and what he should say? 
Well, I, I, I think that, that what this passage teaches us is that it doesn't matter what we think. It's about what God says and what He thinks. The pastor is to be a servant of Christ, which means he ministers the Word. He is to be steward to the mystery of God. And the church and the worship is to be centered around that because that is how Jesus Christ comes in salvation. That is how Jesus Christ has ordained to open the eyes of people who are lost in sin. The preaching of the Word of God. And it means that pastors are to preach. It means that pastors are appointed to take God's Word and to preach it Sunday in and Sunday out. The other thing that I see in this passage, and this may sound a little bit contrary to what, uh, to what I've said so far about the humility of the pastoral office, and the fact that he's a servant, but I don't think that it flows, and it certainly is reflected in our own confessions, and that is because a minister is a steward of Jesus Christ, because he does represent Jesus Christ as he preaches the word, that uh, members of the church are to be in a proper relationship to their pastors. Here's how the Belgic Confession says, Article 31. It says, Everyone ought to esteem the ministers of God's Word very highly for their work's sake and be at peace with them without two things. Actually, three things. Murmuring. I don't think I need to define the word. Just listening to the word murmuring. It's onomatopoetic, right? You know what murmuring means. Strife or contention. You see, because He is what He is, your servant, and because what that service is about, taking God's Word to you, then you need to be in a right relationship with your pastor. I don't know about you, but I cannot stand listening to people that I don't have a good relationship with. I don't know how you can just sit there in the pew and listen to a pastor preach the Word of God and you know you're harboring anger and grudges and bitterness in your heart against them. For whatever reason. I mean, it happens though. You need to settle problems with your pastors if you have one. I hope they don't have a long line after church this morning. (laughs) But if I do, it's okay. Uh, You know, I've been known to say things the wrong way. I've been known, without even trying, to get people a little upset. I know it's hard to imagine with my sunny disposition that I could ever say anything that might be a little bit irritating to people. I never say anything that irritates my wife. Uh, obviously, you know, if there is a problem, you have to, you have to take care of it. Because of what the pastor is, he preaches Christ. Nothing more important than you need in life than Jesus Christ. And you're not going to receive Him if you look at the pastor week in and week out and you have no respect for Him. The third thing that I see in this passage here by way of application is that we ought to stand in awe. We ought to stand in awe when we come to church every Sunday because of what happens when the ministry of the Word goes forth. I like to return to this topic repeatedly because it's just absolutely something that is mind-boggling and majestic and wonderful, but at the same time, we don't always sense it. But, but it's what's happening when the Word of God is proclaimed. Just think through what Paul heard from Jesus in this terrifying encounter where, where Paul is on his back and Jesus is standing over him on the way to Damascus. He says, 
Paul, you're going to go preach the Word, and the result of you preaching the Word is that people's eyes will be made open. They will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. They will receive forgiveness of sins, and they will be mediated a portion of the eternal inheritance. Do you see? Can you connect the words for yourself? This is what's happening when the Word is being proclaimed. If the purpose of the preaching of the Word is to mediate that lightning power to open your hearts and minds, to transfer you from these kingdoms, if the purpose is to, to, to uh, bestow the forgiveness of sins, then we need to think about just how majestic and awesome and wonderful the preaching of the Word of God is. that we all have the privilege while this mysterious act is being unfolded before us of experiencing the kingdom of God opening it's imperceptible to our eyes but if you could see with the eye of faith what Jesus Christ has done is just open wide the gate to the kingdom of God and said come in and receive forgiveness of sins Receive transformation. That's what's going on in the preaching of the Word. And that only happens when pastors fulfill their role and calling as Paul describes it. Servants of Christ. Stewards of the mysteries of God. People of God, let us stand in holy adoration and awe of what Jesus is doing right now. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing right now. He's using His Word to open eyes, to break open the kingdom of God, and to bring sanctifying grace to your soul. Nothing better. Nothing better to receive on a Sunday morning or any other morning of the week. And the way that happens is by us resisting the temptation to make the ministry into our own image and our own liking. If we submit to Christ's way, Regard ministers, as Paul says, we are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries. We will continually experience what Christ ordained the ministry for. To be the power of God and to our own salvation. Let's pray.